But I think you can be a very good, I think you can be a very good strength coach for a sport that you haven't played, but I don't think you can be a great strength coach for a sport you haven't played. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by my good friend and fellow coach, Ron McKeefrey. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's new in my neck of the woods, and what you have to look forward to in the coming weeks on the Physical Prep Podcast. So let's go with last week. Lots of coaching going on. Uh, one of the highlights of last weekend was getting to go watch Black Widow. So you know, we're big Marvel fans in this family. Got to go watch Black Widow in a movie theater. So that was really awesome. Love the experience. Kids just love being in the big recliner seats, getting to watch like eight or 10 previews. It felt like it was a million. Kendall, after everyone turning and looking at me, oh, that looks awesome. Can we go see that? So absolutely enjoyed that. Had a blast with them. Saturday went and did some appliance shopping, which I know sounds like one of the more domesticated events you can go on. But I mean, we've lived in our house almost 13 years now. So it's kind of that time. We've already replaced the hot water heater. We've replaced the HVAC and then decided, hey, man, our fridge is kind of conking out. Our dishwasher has seen a better day. So had to invest in some new appliances. I'm sure that is going to make my wife very, very happy, or at least I hope it's going to make her happy. And look, anything that makes our lives a little bit easier and a little bit simpler is probably a good thing. So those are the big highlights from last week. This week, a lot going on, man. Literally, it's the week before vacation. You guys know whenever you take a vacation, it's like the week leading up to and the week after you get back are just absolutely bananas. And that's how this week is because I've got all my regular clients and and coaching people that I'm working with. Uh, I've got Sandy in, distance client. She'll be in on Wednesday. Uh, I've got a new mentee starting up tomorrow. Just whenever you leave, I feel like there's extra programs that have to be written. So I got to get all my programs done, caught up, ready to ready to go. So just a lot going on this week. Kindle's last soccer game. So yeah, a lot going on this week, but cannot wait because our family trip to Michigan is one of the things that I know we all look forward to every single year. Uh, we have done it, I think, every year, both of our kids have been around. So, I mean, we used to go all the way up to Traverse City, which is about seven, seven and a half hours north. We did that for like a year with Kendall and realized uh, it's maybe a little bit too far, settled a little bit further south. So if you're familiar with the Michigan area at all, there's South Haven, there's Saugatuck, there's uh, Holland, there's all these beautiful little cities along the coast of Lake Michigan. So that's what we do every year. And If you're ever interested in why I go north versus south, here's the story. When Jess and I got married way, 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 way back in 2004, we decided we were going to go somewhere tropical for our honeymoon. And it's August. So we decide we're going to go to Cancun, right? You can't just go to Florida, right? You got to go somewhere tropical. So we go to Cancun. And first off, if you've ever been to Cancun in August, it's like hell on earth. I think the low every day was 85 to 90. The high, if you were in the sun, was about 110. So if you're outside during the middle of the day, you realize, hey, I can't just sit. You can't just sit. Even in the shade, you're like just sweating bullets. So you have to be in the pool. So about 
two, three days in, I mean, we're loving it. We're in the pool, this swim up pool. And I noticed, man, I got like these weird, like kind of hive looking things on my arm. And it just progressively gets worse and worse as the week goes on. And eventually by the end, I'm just like a hot mess of like a little bit of sunburn, like these hives all over like my arms. It was miserable because <laughs> I couldn't go outside. If I was outside, I was sweating, which made me uncomfortable because of the hives, I couldn't get in the pool. It was an absolute disaster. So now you have inside baseball. You know why Mike Robertson does not go south in the summer. I always go north. That's why we go to Michigan. I love it up there. It's so chill. And I don't come home with hives from being in a pool too often. So that is what's new in my neck of the woods. Now, give you a little bit of insight. The next couple weeks, Iris and the amazing team that produce my podcast are going on a vacation. So you will not be getting one of these little updates for the next couple weeks. But I'm telling you, I got some really awesome episodes coming up. I got Ben Eisenminger, who's a competitive strongman. Awesome episode. Jelani Floyd and Dan Poneman, NBA agents. And more importantly, not just NBA agents, but NBA agents that actually have NBA clients. So awesome episode. All kinds of parallels between what we do and what they do. Very much service industries. So I think you're going to love that episode. And to bring it all together, we've got a solo episode from yours truly, and we're going to talk about program design. So awesome episodes coming up. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump to this awesome episode today with my guy, Coach Ron McKeefery. It seems like almost every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who was frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. The exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting, to pressing and pulling, and everything in between. And last but not least, I've added an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now, here's the thing. Spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in March 2021. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Internationally recognized as a leader in the area of sports development, Ron McKeefrey has twice been named Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year first by the Professional Football Strength and Conditioning Association, 
and next by the National Strength and Conditioning Association. In 2020, Coach McKeefrey was awarded the International Coach of the Year by Strength and Conditioning Education based in the United Kingdom, and he is currently Assistant Athletic Director and Head Strength and Conditioning Coach at Fresno State University. In this show, Ron and I take a candid look at young coaches and how to be successful as a coach early on in your career. We talk about the need for stress and challenges as coaches, just like we would preach to our athletes. We talk about the role of community and culture and how they went about building that at Fresno State throughout the pandemic. We talk extensively about the difference between being credentialed and being qualified and why experience will always trump knowledge. And last but not least, we talk about why if you want to be truly successful in this field, you have to deliver value. This was an awesome episode and I know you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Yeah, you'll be fine. I always tell people, too, like, some people don't want to look at them. They just want it to be spontaneous, so. Yeah, no, I'm more like that. Yeah, no, it'll be good. All right. Ron, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you back on. Could you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Hey, buddy. Great to see you, man, and, and always an honor to be on the show, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm Ron McKeefer. I've been a strength coach for over 20 years and bounced back and forth between Mostly, you know, the NFL and, and major college football, but, you know, I've had you know, some stints, you know, in either baseball or Army Special Forces or, you know, working with play and, and, and doing some international coaching and whatnot. So done a little bit of everything and, and uh, having fun doing it. Yeah, man, you've been all over the place, dude. You've been all over the place, man. You're worldwide. You know, that's one of the things when I was, I, I got an opportunity when I right out of, pretty much right out of college, pretty young in my career to go coach over in Berlin with NFL Europe. Yeah. And you're coming from Kansas City, you know, kind of small Midwest city and not really, you know, having money to, to kind of travel a lot when I was young, being exposed to a different culture early in my coaching career, just kind of opened up my eyes to the opportunity that exists for strength coaches worldwide. Yeah, you know, and, and so, you know, the the last three years, well, I guess it's been sixteen months to Benny, even though it's been it feels like a month. <laughs> the um, you know, I was traveling the world and working with different teams and speaking and really getting an opportunity to kind of see different cultures and, and how this field of ours that we like so much has been evolved, you know, in different areas. So it's been fun. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. And it's obviously been, you know, a couple of years since we had you on last. I don't I'd have to go back and look at what episode it was, but what's new in your neck of the woods, man? Give us, give us the, uh, the, the big updates. Yeah. I mean, right now, you know, I'm the, the assistant athletic director and uh, in charge of sports performance at Fresno state university, you know, I came out here. I work primarily with the football program, but oversee the entire department and took this job. I guess, you know, 17 months ago or so. And obviously didn't anticipate going through the craziness of COVID. <laughs> right. And I uh, don't know if I would have took the job if I, if I knew that was coming. <laughs> but at the same time, it's been, I think, you know, I mean, God put you in places for a reason. And I think, you know, I was telling my wife, I mean, you think about going through just you and I, how long we've been in this field, you know, going through 9 11 going through some of the, the kind of the recession and different things like yeah if you've coached during this time you can you can really point to a bunch of things that you've been able to navigate and show success with you know and um, 
think there's always opportunity and, and, and challenges and yep. this is a great opportunity to kind of test your metal a little bit and see what kind of coach you are. Yeah, for sure, man. Like, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, I remember 2001, I was GA strength coach and researcher at Ball State. So I remember being in the weight room when that went down. We opened our gym in the middle of like the worst recession of all time. And then, yeah, we were closed down. And I know most people will roll their eyes, but we were closed down for 10 weeks, you know, and obviously had to go through all that. I know some places have been closed for damn near a year now. You're right, man. This this field will toughen you up for sure, especially if you've been around long enough and you've gone through some of these battles. I think it's, you know, I mean, it's, it goes, it's what we preach to our athletes every day, right? A growth yep. mind and constantly challenging and stressing yourself and, if you can't embrace that part of, of what we do, you know, and embrace those challenges. And I think it's one of that I know we'll get into a little bit of, you know, kind of young coaches coming through the ranks and whatnot, but I mean, that's one of the things it's taking risk and, and uh, failing, you know, and going through trials and tribulations and, and it's not all being handed to you a gold star every single day. I think that's important. Absolutely, man. Okay. So, Let's dive in here, and I would love to hear a little bit about your previous position when you were with play, because like you said, you've been a lifelong strength coach. You take the position with play, so I'd love to learn about your role there, and then I'd love to hear what ultimately led you back into the world of collegiate strength and conditioning. Yeah, I think it starts with why, at the time, why I took the job. I mean, outside of just a great opportunity, great company, yes. can't say enough phenomenal things about play and Brett Waits and Rich Gray and, and the people there. I mean, every single person is top-notch. Yep. But, you know, at that time, I was coaching up at Eastern Michigan, and I was living apart from my family, you know. And, you know, for people that know me, know me personally, know that I'm I'm the ultimate family guy. But, right. but at the same time, you know, this profession t- forces you to kind of, you know, to provide for them. You got you to gotta do some crazy things sometimes. And, yep. What ended up being what we thought was just going to be a, a short stint with the Cincinnati Bengals, and then we would be, you know, either moving to Cincinnati or moving wherever, ended up becoming two and a half years of being apart from my family. Oh you wow! Know, they went, you know, they went, they came up, and I went down, and we skyped every night, and you know, and it wasn't nearly as bad. I kept equating it to kind of when I worked in special forces and guys being deployed for extended periods of time, and. And it wasn't nearly as bad as, as it sounds, but for a guy that loves to hug and kiss his wife every night and kids every night, that's, that's, that's tough. You know, yep. we adopted all four of our kids. And, um, and so being able to, you know, miss the first five and three years of our lives, you know, and, and uh, 13 of our half, my half brother that we took in, that was, you know, they were all going into high school and I wasn't prepared. I didn't want to miss the last three, four years that they were in the house. Yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. And so that opened me up to ideas of different things and, and play. It had been a company that sponsored our pod, my podcast and I'd grown, had great relationships with, and they approached me with a, a position to kind of be the vice president of performance and education. And, and so coaching coaches has always been a part of my kind of portfolio, something that I've always tried to do and, you know, and, and, my passion for kind of doing things internationally and things like that, it all just kind of was a perfect storm and was a perfect fit for me and got an opportunity to really do a lot of cool things, you know, whether it was working with the Chinese Olympic committee and putting 28 coaches over in China or working with football teams in Australia or soccer teams in Europe or 
rugby teams and all, you know, wherever. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, it was a, a lot of fun and I uh, really enjoyed it, but it also was, you know, not coaching every single day. You know, I was doing a lot of traveling, doing a lot of different things and, you know, and, and so when coaching is in your DNA and something that you've done for a lot of years, it's, it's hard to kind of turn that piece of you off a little bit. Yeah. It's so funny. You use the exact words I was writing down because I had this discussion as I alluded to before we got on the show with Scott Caulfield a while back. And he said kind of the same thing, you know, it's like, as, as coaches, there's part of us that's education based, right? Like we educate our athletes, we educate the people that we train, but man, there's just something about coaching people. And I just feel like there's certain people it's just in their blood. Right. And it's like, you're away from it too long and it just pulls you back in. So it's just so funny that you use that exact same term that I used with him a couple of weeks ago. Cause I really feel like either it's in you or it's not. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, you know, like you said, I mean, it, you coaches, I think, I know for me, to be honest with you, not having chaos in my life was something that was really kind of, I was kind of missing that. Right. It was kind of a a normal day. And and although there was some things with, you know, with traveling and things like that, it got crazy, but, but I didn't have chaos, you know, and, and, you know, when you're used to working 12 hours a day in chaos, it's it's something that you don't feel normal. Yes. Yes. I love that, man. I mean, I love it. So you take the job, January 2020. As we all know, March 2020 comes around and basically drops a bomb on all of us. And there's been some big changes in how things are done. So I would love to hear from you about, like, maybe give us some insight into, like, the first eight weeks you're on site, what's happening, and then how things change and how you evolve out of that to keep things running. Yeah, it's a very interesting situation. I took this job, the head coach and the offensive coordinator, two of my best friends, you know, and so it's a chance for us all to coach together. That's and awesome. Get our families together. And, you know, this is a different part of my time of my life. My kids are all in college at this point and playing sports in college and whatnot. So it's kind of, you know, it's not as much risk, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, right. to, if I'm fired or something, you know. But it's just, a, it's it's what we work so hard to do, be with good people, choose where we want to go, those types of things. So I take this job with all that in mind and, you know, different adventure. I think that's important for young people that are listening. I think, you know, we only get one life and it's important for you to, to try new things. And, and, and I mean, you can snap your finger and all of a sudden 20 years go by, which it seems like almost every day, and not have any stories to tell and not have any experiences to, to, to think back on, but. Take this. We get in I right into a winter off-season program, and uh, you know, had great. It was good. I mean, we we had a great winter. It was a lot of fun. It was the, the typical grind, and my my family wasn't you know stayed you know back. And we get to March, and family's moving out, and all of a sudden we get you know we're supposed to start spring ball on a Monday. We finish on a Friday, and I get sent home. You know, and and out here in California, I mean, pretty much everything shut down. Yep. And in a lot of ways, it's still very much close to that. And, um, you know, we, we, our players got sent home and, and, and had no end in sight. I mean, we literally, I literally, I know I thought that it would be a week and we would be back, you know, and, right. and, uh, what was, what I thought would be a week ended up turning into, we didn't get our kids back until September. 
And so March to September, when you're trying to, you're a new staff and you're trying to build culture and you're trying to build buy-in and, and all these things, that that's a challenge, you know, and, and trying to maintain hope and, and, and not be perceived as incompetent, you know, being able to, you're, you're talking to your athletes saying, Hey, we think it might be a week. And then all of a sudden a week comes by and you're still like, well, maybe it's another week and you keep kind of looking bad that way. So you're, you're, you're losing some trust that way. Yes. With trying to motivate them to, to, to find creative ways to train, you know, and I think just where the world's at, I mean, I think people are kind of shifting their focus away to like, you know, they're, they're really becoming compartmentalized and they're really kind of in their own world these yep. days. If you're in their world in the moment, then you're, you're important. But when you're not in their world in the moment, sometimes you're not. Yes. And, uh, I think that was one of our, our challenges. So we, in September, we, we hit a short season. We had kind of a rash of COVID come through during that time. And we were only able to get six games in. And, uh, you know, we sent them home for a couple months after that and brought them back. And since we brought them back in February, it's been fairly normal in terms of our training calendar. But it, right. it's been, obviously, instead of training in two big groups and having the kind of the atmosphere and culture and all that, we've had to go as little as, as 10 people in the weight room at a time and, um, you know, try to maintain intensity and try to maintain culture, those types of things. So it's been, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir with everybody that's listening today, but it's been a challenge and, and uh, it's forced me to kind of think outside the box in a lot of different ways and things probably more importantly, things that I used to die on a hill about, you know, how important they were, are things that maybe I'm like, you know, it's not that big of a deal now. Right, right. So I've, I got two things here. Number one, I can 100% relate on this idea of losing trust or looking incompetent, right? Because I went through this as well. As a business owner, we thought the same thing. We thought, oh, okay, well, we're going to get shut down for two weeks and then we'll be back to business. And I remember writing that first email like, hey, look, you know, we think this is a temporary thing. We're going to check all these boxes and two weeks come and go and they give us another two weeks. Well, now I got to write another email, right? And I got to backtrack on what I just said. And so finally, I got to a point, you know, early May, because we were also having this issue between what like the local mayor said and what our governor said. So it's like this pissing match back and forth between who's going to carry the most weight. And I just finally got to a point where I'm like, look, I love you and I want you in my gym. But at the same time, I'm not going to write another email until I have a definite answer for you. Yeah, so I totally get where you're coming from there. But then I also have a follow-up question because I think this is such a unique situation, like you said. And if you've never been around college football in that atmosphere, it is. It's a huge cultural piece. Like, hey, man, we're in the gym together. We're grinding together. We're getting strong. Like, all of those pieces. How did you go about doing that when you're working from a distance? Like, what things did you try out or employ to try and make sure, like, hey, we're going to do the best that we can given our current situation? Yeah, I think before I answer that question, I think that what you touched on, I, I think it's real indicative of where we're at in the world these days is that there's no shortage of people telling you what you want to hear. You know? <laughs> yes. Without any kind of science or without any kind of backing or anything along those lines. And so, you know, you're fighting not only the trust battle, but you're also fighting against, you know, kind of hyperbole. Yes. You know? Yes. And I think that's important, you know, as we as we go to this, because we're rooted me, everybody listening is probably rooted in science. Yes. And a big part of there's, I mean, there is a right and wrong answer a lot <laughs> to what we do. Right. Uh, you know, I think 
for uh, for things that we did. I mean, we did what everybody did. I mean, we did the we did the the Zoom workouts, and we did you know different challenges, and we created a buddy system, and guys checking up on each other, and nice. we created a bunch of different competitions that we did virtually with our staff, and and really, I think the probably the thing that was probably the most effective was really we, we focused on trying to get these know get to know these athletes on a whole different level. Cause you could do that, right? You right. could get to what really drove them, what their why was. And, you know, you really were able to get into that so that when we did get back, we were able to train on a much deeper level, you know, these guys, these, these athletes. And I think to me, I think that, you know, I think those dividends are, that come probably this next year where, you know, you've invested so much in the, in the, the you know, the person that yeah. it gets a lot easier to, to get to, to train the athlete. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's, it's so difficult, especially remotely, but it sounds like you guys did a really good job. And like you said, especially with so many of these athletes now, cause I've got a lot of collegiate athletes that I work with. They basically have a bonus year, right? So now yeah. I think they're going to remember like who was there for me during this time, right? So I know all of my athletes I've got a much stronger relationship with now because hey man, I've been with them more in the last year than I was in maybe the last 2 to 3 years because normally I just get them in the summer. And you know, there were times I'd have them 6, 8, 9 months now. So You know what's funny is it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of things, I mean, you and I both went through the whole phase of CrossFit is the devil and, <laughs> you know, and, and all those types of things. And, and I remember kind of when CrossFit kind of came first on board and I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to say, so don't tune out you know, if you're still in that, in that world, but like, it's not the way to train athletes. Right. 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 But that said, you know, there's tons of good that have come out of that community. Right. And, yeah. and that's, that's the, that's the operative word right there is that they did something that was phenomenal and that they created a, a, a community that, you know, you know, to a point to where if you want some late, you know, 90 pound lady to rip your eyes out, talk bad about her crossing. Right? <laughs> right. You know? So, you know, I think that was a lesson that, you know, you sit back and you look and if you keep your eyes open for what people are doing and take the good and leave the bad, you know, the coaches that sat back and saw how they built community, you know, I took a lot of lessons from, from you know, disciplines like that Yep. in that time where I had to build a community in a, in a difficult time, yep. you know, and I think, you know, we got to, as coaches, there's too much of that. I think it's better now than it was maybe early in our career where it was very almost, almost like a religious fervor, you know, your philosophy you were, but right. But now, I mean, it's important for us to continue not just to take from ones within our own field, but also disciplines from other fields and try to apply them to what we do. Yep, for sure, man. So here's something I'm really interested in, because there's obviously a change in the athletic side and how you had to work with your athletes. But I'd assume, and I could be wrong here, but I'd assume there's a shift in how you have to go about the hiring process as well. So I think you mentioned in our in our Instagram messages that you're going through a job search process right now. So I'd be really interested to hear, first and foremost, what makes somebody stand out in a resume these days? Yeah, I think it's one of the most difficult things of a manager is hiring, you know, your staff. For you know, sure. And, you, know, in, you know, in the book that I wrote a few years back, CEO Strength Coach, you know, I think, you know, there, I, I said there's three things that you have to be. You have to be a great technician. You have to be a great coach. But you also have to be a great manager 
of time, people, and resources. And, and people is the hardest part. Yes. You know? and, and then you also have to be an entrepreneur. You have to be forward thinking and constantly sharpening the sword and challenging your ideals. But specifically when we're talking people, I mean, this has been a tough, tough deal. I mean, we had a player, you know, this is a couple of weeks back now, but we had a stud senior player that's a man. I mean, he's 22 years old, you know, that got coached hard in a drill and just started crying. You know, this is a guy that you would never think would cry. And and just the weight of COVID and social unrest and all these different things, you know, that have kind of come about, it's, it's really created this, this, this generation of people that we're hiring these days really becomes challenging. People are more, you know, they're, they're super qualified. They're super credentialed. They, yeah. they, they, they're, they're, you know, the, the, the science degrees, the, the, the uh, sports science, exercise science, all these kinesiology and different things are so much better and different than when we came out of school. For sure. About 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, but there's a difference between being credentialed and being qualified. And I think that's the thing that stands out, you know, in these resumes is there's no shortage of coaches that have the degree, have the certification, but they also have their hand out saying, where's my job? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did the bar- I did, you know, I did what I'm supposed to do. And because of social media and all these different things, and they're seeing this kind of instant gratification of, of things, they're like, well, you know, I, I see the 23-year-old that has the head job at whatever NFL team or NBA team or, or whatever, and they're not willing to put in the work to make themselves or put themselves in a position to be qualified for that job, you know. And so when I'm hiring, like I am right now, hiring a basketball strength coach or hiring some, you know, a director for football, we are past. There's just too many coaches out there to where we can make the distinction that, okay, because you worked baseball at whatever school, that you can be the football strength coach at a Division One top 25 program. Right. There, there's some – do you understand the science of it? Absolutely. You know, and no question. But the experience and knowing the training calendar and knowing the, the stresses that those athletes face and, you know, and, and understanding the culture piece – yeah. It's so different in those sports or any other sport, you know, for that matter, that you have to be, you, you have to build a resume that supports the positions that you want. Yeah. You know, and I don't think coaches these days are doing that. I think they're getting a, a broad spectrum of experience. Now, you know, it's spreading between sports performance facilities with owning their own thing with, you know, working as a, you know, low level assistant somewhere. And they think that those experiences are all the same, but all you're telling me as an experienced coach is that you don't really know which one of those buckets you want to be in. Right. You know? And, you know, versus the coach that's like, okay, I'm going to be an intern until I get work my way up into that GA spot until I work my way up into that assistant spot, all in that same sport. And, yeah. and I like to take it even one step further that, I, you know, and I, there's no shortage of people that disagree with me on this, and I, I welcome it. But I think you can be a very good. I think you can be a very good strength coach for a sport that you haven't played. But I don't think you can be a great strength coach for a sport you haven't played. And I think it's just until you've put yourself, until you've put yourself in being a, a football player and walk into a stadium where eighty thousand people hate your guts, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't understand that, right. you know, the things that come with that. Yep. And, and so I, I look, to answer your question, in resumes, I look for people that have become qualified and built a resume that supports the job that they want. 
and under and shows me that they understand, you know, that, that they, they have to build up that, that those, uh, those experiences and that they have got experience, at, at, you know, um, as an athlete in that sport typically. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple great points you make here. First off, I talk about this all the time on this show, the difference between knowledge and experience, yep. right? We all know the guy that can quote Mel Sif super training, you know, his thoughts on plyometrics, but then can't write a plyometric progression to save their life, you know, or can't demonstrate it or can't coach it. So you're absolutely right there. The other thing that, that I think you make a great point on is people always want to focus on the outliers, right? Like Ramsey Nijem, I believe was 23 or 24 when he got the head strength coach yeah. position yeah. with the Sacramento Kings. Well, that's great. But first off, there's 30 of those jobs across the entire league. And I don't remember Ramsey's whole story, but, you know, like, look, maybe he knew somebody. Like, there's a lot of pieces that go into him getting that job. And I know he worked his ass off, too, because I remember him telling me his story and, like, all the time and all the hours he put in. So there's just so many pieces. Like, you can't just point to somebody and say, oh, I want that job, right? Because you don't know what time and effort they put into it, how they qualified themselves, the network. Because you know as well as I do, a lot of the best jobs, they're not on Monster.com. Or indeed, you know, they're hired from a very tight-knit circle of, hey, we got this position open. Who do you know that would fit it? Yeah, it's not always who you know. It's not, it's not who you know sometimes as the coach, right? It's also who knows, knows you. you. Yes. And builds the – you're building a network that's going to support you because that's always going to be – like I, I've only gone outside of my network three times in my whole career. I've only gone out of my – my circle of who I've hired three times in my whole career. That's amazing. And I do that intentionally because I know not so much because of them, but I know that I can be a difficult person to work with. You know, right. and I know that people that, that prove that they can work in that environment are more valuable to people than to me than people that might are a question mark in that area. Right. There's a lot of variables. I talk, uh, you know, talk a lot of, you know, that I, I make our, our staff take a personality profile test. Nice. The Gary Smalley personality profile. And, and it's not, you know, it's not the disc profile or, you know, Myers-Briggs or things like this. It's, you're a lion, otter, beaver, retriever. And they all have strengths and they all have weaknesses. They're all leaders, but it's the type of leader that you are. So a lion likes on their chest and be out front and forward thinking and, vision casting, but they're, they're really bad with details. That's, that's me. Like I'm right. I'm way more comfortable speaking in front of a thousand people than I am speaking to one person. Yeah. But then there's a beaver that's very meticulous that, you know, has, you know, knows, has 20 different to-do lists, knows all the details, but they don't want to be out front. There's a retriever. That's the loyal soldier. That's your typical athlete. That's, I don't want the attention, but I'm going to lead by example. Yes. There's the otter. That's the playful one. That when the music comes on, they're dancing. They can change the energy of a room. Right. All kinds of things. And so early in my career, I thought I had to have a bunch of lions because that's what I was, and I was a good strength coach. What I right. had to learn it's not just those qualifications, right? It's also making sure that you're balancing out the personality for what I need a beaver. Like yeah. I have to have a beaver on my staff because I'm bad with details. Yeah, that's cool, man. You know, you know it's important to make sure. There's so many variables. So you gotta you gotta be qualified. You, you have to you know credentialed. You have to build a resume that supports the job that you want and become qualified for that. And you have to be the right personality 
to make the to be the fit. And I don't think people understand the last two. Yeah. Okay. So let's take this a step further. You've gone in, out to your network. You've come through the resumes. You've got it down to five people, right? You're going to interview five people. What makes somebody stand out in an actual interview with you? I think, I think a, a great storyteller is what stands out to me. I yeah. think somebody that, that, that is not a robot that is going to spit out the NSCA definition and the <laughs> NSCA response it's somebody that can relate it to a personal experience, yes. you know? And so you're like, how would you handle an athlete that is difficult in the weight room? And you're like, okay, well, the NSCA says you should develop a relationship and, you know, whatever. versus the person that's like, Hey, look, you know, early in my career, I threw a plate at a kid for being 25, you know, 20 minutes late. And what I learned was that the kid had you know, lost his grandpa. That was, you know, important in his life. And I lost, I could potentially lost the relationship you know, with that athlete. And I learned from that. Yep. To me, that's going to be, you know, that, that, that's somebody that can spin that with the right answer, but in story form. Yes. Is somebody that's, that stands out that shows me that you, you have a higher level of intelligence or emotional intelligence EQ, you know, in that process. And, and, and there's very few of those people. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. We always, in, as part of our interview process, we'll, randomly ask them to tell us a story just to see can they tell a story right because people learn via stories and it's a great way to disseminate information so we always ask them to try and do that and it's interesting to hear what some of them spit out you know it's obvious it's not something that they've worked on or crafted over their time in the fitness industry yeah you mentioned scott you know, Scott and I put on a, a clinic one time about this, you know, building a resume and interview skills and all those types of things yeah. and the things he does in his interviews that I thought was really good was he makes him tell him a joke. Yes. Uh, <laughs> We've done that too. Yeah. Like I'm terrible at that. Like if you ask me, <laughs> that, that's the otter, right? The otter right. is one. Of, okay. I got 20 of them. Here you go. But you know, that, that's probably why I don't do it because I, you know, I'm not, sometimes I'm not looking for that otter, but but I think, you know, you got to, I think it's an important lesson for coaches that are interviewing other coaches as well, because we didn't go to school. You went, no, you're way smarter than I am. You got a much better degree than I did, but I, I have a biology degree. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a single management class in my undergrad. Right. I didn't learn how to be a manager in college. I had to, I had to grow into a manager. Yep. You know? And so when you're interviewing coaches too, that's an important thing is how do you, you know, how do you create questions that are not you know, robotic answers that you, but you get to really see the color of somebody, you know, and all of their personality, you yeah. know, and, and so putting them in either or situations and making them choose and understanding what you would value in that situation. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, throwing them off their game and making them ask a question, you know, tell a story or a joke. Those are skills that you, I mean, really quick. I mean, I've gone through a lot of hiring and, I've definitely learned to become a better person to hire, you know, a better hiring manager over the years than I have early in my career. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, like you said, that's not something they teach you in school. And if they do, there's no, nothing you can do in school that will equate to that real world experience of either hiring the right person or in a bad case, hiring the wrong person. Cause we right. all know what the wrong person does to your company, your culture, your community. Right. Right. 
Well, we, we talked a little bit early, you know, early on about the culture and, and how, especially in this environment, it's so, it's such an important piece. I mean, I, you know, I've done every possible philosophy. I've done every type of thing that you can think of in strength conditioning. And, you know, most of the time it comes down to the culture of your team, not what you're yeah. doing, you know, the scheme of your offense or defense or the scheme of your, of your strength program. And, and because we're around these athletes more than anybody, we have, we're, we're a defining variable in that, in that equation. Yeah. And so the right people and, and putting the right people around your athletes, that's, you know, that's super important. Probably as important, if not more than your philosophy and what you do. Yeah, no, I agree, man. All right. So kind of wrapping up this theme of hiring and, and bringing people on board, you mentioned in our kind of DM messages back and forth before the show that you feel like it's getting harder and harder to find good assistance these days. And I'm intrigued by that. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it goes a little bit into what we've, we've talked about. I think, you know, I, I, I've never been the smartest person. I've never been, I mean, I've got all the degrees and every certification on the man and, and won all the awards and all that kind of stuff, you know? So I've been successful in this profession, but I've never been the smartest person. But what I have been is that I am super inquisitive. Like I'll, I'll ask you questions. I've done this to you. I've asked yeah. you, you know, I've, I've asked you a question and drilled down on the R7 method as far as until I fully understood it, you right. know, and um, could apply it, right? So I ask questions, I take risk, you know, and a lot of people won't do that, you know, in their careers. And I think that's becoming more and more evident. I don't think because of this, I think even looking at our players, even like fewer players are going out of state for recruiting now than ever before, because there's a risk associated with that now where people got stranded for X number of months or they were far away or things were scary for a little bit. You know, so not me. I think there's a big, huge fear of failure with with the younger generation now. I think it goes back to kind of being able to go hit reset on the Nintendo really quick. You know, <laughs> right in the game, right? And so, I think you got to you know, failure is part of the process. That's how you grow. You know, taking risk is how you put yourself in, in, in also how you grow. And it, it goes back to the overload principle. That's the thing that we preach every single day, right? So I think there's that piece of it. And then I think that the, the second piece is, you know, I think there's enough people that are making money with online training and, and coaching in gyms and, and all these different things that all of a sudden you've got to make the sacrifice and make less money to kind of be in this kind of really unique environment, yep. you know, and it, it is unique when you look at how the United States does training versus the rest of the world. Like, you know, being a part of one of these colleges and universities, it's, that's unique, you know, and, and, uh, it's a special experience. It's a special opportunity. And sometimes it's hard to understand that when you're making less than, you know, a UPS driver, like you mentioned, you know, and, <laughs> right. you know, and, and cream always rises to the top. The good always, you know, weighs out, but it sometimes it takes, sometimes it's a little bit longer journey. And yeah. I think people's lack of patience, you know, this instant gratification, I think that's weighing into this a little bit now. So it's, it's getting harder to find people that are willing to make those sacrifices. And, and in some ways that's good. You want to champion the profession. You want think you want the profession to grow and, and we should be paying our coaches way more than they're making. Right. But we should also be paying our teachers more than they're making and our police officers more than they're making and our 
you know, our firefighters more than they're making. Right. And yet they get a very rewarding experience and people don't put as much value on the experience as they do. You know, I mean, being able to, to jump on a plane and go somewhere and go into a stadium with 80,000 people and play a game and, yeah. and having an impact on some of these young people that are going to go be future leaders. Like that's special. Not everybody gets that. Yeah. Okay. This is such a great point. And, and so I want to kind of hammer this home because you make a couple great points. Number one, there's a process to this, right? You don't show up on day one and get to be the boss. And right. some people don't like that, right? Like they want to be the boss because they have the credentials. They pass the CSCS or whatever. So they think that implies that they should be the top dog and it doesn't work that way, right? Because like you said, there's this, there's this breadth of experience that you have. The longer you do this, the more you realize, and it's probably like most professions, the more you realize, damn, I didn't know anything 15 years ago. Right. Because you didn't have any perspective and you didn't have that accumulated experience. So that's huge. But the other thing, like you mentioned, is a lot of the benefits that we get in this field aren't always financial. Right. And, and now, granted, like you said, do I think coaches should make more and trainers? Yes, absolutely. Especially when you consider all of the impact that they have on people. But it's hard to put a monetary value on, in your case, taking this 18 to 22 year old young man and helping him become a real man and growing his character and forging him into a strong human being the rest of his life. Like that's part of why people ask me all the time, like, well, why do you do so much volunteer coaching with your kids? Well, number one, it's time with my kids, right? But I also get to right. have an impact on 12 or 14, you know, young people and hopefully show them some of the lessons that sports can teach you. So it's like, I don't get paid to do that. It's a volunteer thing, but I do it because there's a massive reward for me and it not, it's not necessarily financial. So I think you make a couple great points there. Yeah. You know, I think it's, you know, this is where I've really leaned on you through the years and, and, you know, many, many others, but it, you know, I, I think the thing about it is, is we still are looking at this in very much a kind of compartmentalized or reductionist type of thinking where it's either or like, Yep. Either I can make money or I can be a coach. Well, yes. You know. Yes. And, you know, the thing about it is, is like, if you're a talented person, you know, and, and if you're in this field and you survive this, this field, you're talented. <laughs> right. Not the average person can't motivate somebody to do something that they're uncomfortable with at 5 a.m. in the morning. Like they just, yes. a lot of people that can't do that, you know, but you can create kind of this ecosystem of different things to be able to do what you want to do. I think that's the best thing about where this, where we're at in time is you can literally make a profession out of anything, Yeah, you know? And so I enjoy being in the college environment, working with college athletes. That's what I love to do, you know? Okay. So I'm, I'm not going to make a million dollars a year as a strength coach. It's just not going to happen. Right. But, you know, but I can do that and you know, a hundred grand comes from that. And then I can write books and a hundred grand can come from that. And then I can yeah. speak and maybe a hundred grand comes from that. And I create this ecosystem of things to where, yeah, that's my goal. My goal literally is to be a million dollar strength coach, you know? Yeah, and that's awesome. And so like, I don't think you have to be, you know, now you have to work and you have to have a, you know, I have an, un, I don't golf. I don't do a lot. I don't have a lot of freaking other hobbies that, you know, takes, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV. Right. You know, so I put my time into, you know, speaking or writing or, or, you know, the real estate or whatever, 
And, you know, I create these other things that kind of allow me to do what I love to do. And yes, I think that's where young people, especially, they think that that's so, so unsurmountable that they don't even, they don't think that way. But man, I've, you know, shoot, if I'm a young coach right now, I'm freaking driving Uber or Lyft or something. And that becomes one of my ecosystems. And that's allowing me to do what I want to do, but I'm replacing that as soon as I can. Exactly. You know, it's something that's more passive, you know, and yeah, I think you know people just don't think that way. Yeah, no, that's great advice, and yeah, man. I mean, when I started, I was an intern and I was working part time at Kinkos, and I just remember my first year of grad school. I had like powerlifting practice at like six a.m. Took classes. I was a graduate assistant in the lab, so I'd go there. I'd spend a couple hours on the gym floor every day, and then I still worked at Kinkos, like. So I was going like 6 or 7 a.m. till 10 or 11 every day until, okay, well, I don't need to do the Kinko's thing anymore. Now I'm just going to go volunteer all my time in the weight room. It's like you always kind of upgrade every step of the way, right? Like how can I get to that next level? And it's not just like, oh, well, damn, I'm not going to make 300K this year. Well, okay, it doesn't work like that. You got to level up, you know, one step at a time. But if you stick with it and you actually, the other piece that you didn't really mention here, but it's implied is like, there has to be a certain level of mastery, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you put in the time. So now your ecosystem can widen and now it's not just coaching. It is writing books and speaking and, you know, having an online platform. So if you're taking the time and you're putting in the effort, it can absolutely be done. That's for sure. Right. And building over it. I mean, you know, one book isn't going to make you a hundred thousand dollars a year, but maybe 10 books will, you know, right. and, you know, I think that's the thing is try to find things that are complementary to what you're doing or that are other interests, like real estate's and other interests in my life. So yeah. put some time in that and I'm going to create some paths. But, you know, I'm going to put interns in a couple of houses that I own and it's a win-win, you know. Right. That's smart. Uh, you know, so I think, I think you just got to think more outside the box. And I think, you know, it's not – I think it goes back to what I said. Don't have a reductionist line of thinking about anything. Always try to find – you know, how to, that's not either or it's and how, and yeah, I love it, man. Okay. So let's bring this really full circle here. If you could give one piece of advice to a young guy or gal who wants to start working in collegiate athletics, what would that be? I think it's uh, define it early, you know, close your eyes and, and paint the picture of what you want your life to look like. And then, and then reverse engineer it, you know, and, 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 figure out what's going to help you develop either the skill set or build the resume to get that position. Love it. It's exactly what we do with coaching, right? Or writing a program. Like we have that vision of what we want our athlete to become and then just build backwards from there. That's what program design is. I feel like. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Okay. Last but not least, we got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Number one, what was the highlight of your time working with play? Oh, man. You guys did some uh, good things, so I'm really yeah, interested in this one. I did some incredible things there. You know, whether it's freaking, you know, walking over the uh, the bridge in Australia, the Sydney Bridge in Australia, or Pyramid in Mexico, or the Great Wall in China, or, you know, you know, I mean, there's some unbelievable things, you know, that, that I was able to do that were blessings. I think the best thing would be I did a TV show called Beyond the Chalk that was – produced and, and the whole deal. And I thought that that was being able to highlight coaches 
the people they were outside of the weight room is probably the coolest thing. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Okay, number two, since uh, we're friends on the gram, how was that trip to Napa Valley, man? Fun? <laughs> yeah. We had our coaching retreat is what he's talking about. We were able to get up to Napa Valley and as a staff. And we, that's the first time. What's crazy about that is that's the first time that we've gotten our full staff with our wives together in 17 months of being here. My gosh. Uh, so just getting all the wives together and, you know, some time away from the office, which I think is super important. Yep. I was awesome. Now, while the guys were out golfing, I was freaking making reference calls on people I was trying to hire. <laughs> I didn't get to enjoy the whole trip, but, but yeah, it was great. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I love it up there. I've only been once, but definitely want to go back when things open up. Yes. Okay. Number three. Even during your previous time in the collegiate realm, like we kind of alluded to, you always were creating content. You were always doing elements of continuing education for other coaches. Is that something you think everyone should be doing at some level? Absolutely. I think, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a volatile profession like we are, you know, we talked about eating what you kill in yep. the performance world or in the coaching world, it's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a popularity contest of whether or not the, the AD or the head football coach or head basketball coach or whoever likes you and, and, and believes in what you're doing. Whenever you're in a volatile profession, you have to create some, some stability with some multiple streams of revenue. Yep. And you know, I think it's important that you get some of those streams going and or developing skill sets or community that you can leverage mm. to, 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 to be able to pivot really quick. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the great things, and I know you've done it, House has done it, but when you create content like that, the great thing about it is it's evergreen to some degree, right? Like it's always relevant. But the other piece is like it really helps you become a better educator overall, right? And I always talk to my interns and young coaches about this. It's like there's definitely a hierarchy, right? And a lot of times when you're young, you don't feel confident in yourself. So if you start creating that content, and again, you're not going to go out there and act like you know everything, but if you can create content and be confident in yourself and teach other people, it makes you a better coach in the long run too, right? Because you can right. relate stuff better to other people. Yeah, I mean, we have our, our new batch of interns coming tomorrow. One of the very first things that I'll tell them is that, you know, you have to just be a little bit, a couple steps further down the path than somebody else to be able to be an educator of some sorts, right? And so- yep. Even documenting your own journey is something that's going to be of interest to somebody that's walking that path later on. Yep. So I, what I'll tell them, what I tell everybody is, because I get a lot of people that have, I've written a couple books now, and so people have asked me what, how they would go about doing that, is write 300 words every single day. 300 words is, is, a, is a page in a, in a nonfiction book. Yep. So write 300 words and, and, and try to do it in story form. So like today, I might, I might make my 300 words about being on your podcast or some aspect of your podcast today. Right. I'll write 300 words. Now, I may not never use that, but I may be able to pull out chunks of that and put that into some sort of manuscript and, yep. and hand it off to an editor. And I've simplified my process. Yep. You know, but those are the things that when you, when you start to kind of create things, that you create habits around for like writing 300 words every day, or for me reading 10 pages in a, in a book every day, those things I'm able to, to utilize and build off of 
in a lot of different things. That might be stuff that I speak about. That might be stuff that I put in a book. That might be stuff that I put into a, pre- a presentation or talk to my team about, you know, and finding more bang for your buck, I think is super important. Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, last but not least, what's next for Ron McKeefery? Yeah, I'm, I'm being dead serious about I want to be a million-dollar strength coach. Like, I want to find a way to, to, to make a million dollars a year, you know, doing what I love to do, you know. And so that's I love it. building out these other revenue streams. And, you know, I had originally, you know, came here with the intent of, of kind of – leveling up my niche you know like i i came in as i feel like i've done quite a bit in the strength conditioning world and i spent time in that world so i kind of wanted to level up to all coaches and talk about kind of this concept of building a brand that is i think a lot of times people talk about entrepreneurship in a way to kind of pivot completely out of what they're doing i don't think coaches want to do that i think they want to they still want they want to stay doing what they're doing but build more stability yes and that was where I was headed, but honestly, just kind of the the times I don't want to be kind of coming across as wanting to make money off of coaches in a difficult time. Yep. Uh, and I didn't want my employer to think that I was not being 100 percent on the job at hand. And <laughs> I wasn't training athletes every single day. Right. I've kind of I've kind of held off on that, and just the kind of the environment. So, to be honest with you, I don't know what it is from a content perspective. I don't know if I'm going to kind of go back into the strength conditioning piece and and kind of build off, you know, the CEO strength coach kind of model. Yeah. In a different way, or, but what I what I will say is that I've I've I'm building different buckets: real estate, investing speaking, writing, you know, co- coaching. I really like what Gary Vanderchuk is. I think he's hard to listen to sometimes in terms of how he delivers things. But what I like about what he does is he gives away his best stuff for free. You know, yep. I want to give my best stuff away. My, but all this experience in strength conditioning, I want to give that away for free, but I want to be able to leverage that community that I build with other things, you know, yep. whether that's books or T-shirts or Things that are completely unrelated to strength conditioning. Yep. So I'm going to make one final point here. Some people may hear that and be like, oh my gosh, like, how can you do that? Or, oh, that's like, that's not what we do. But I want, I want everybody to think about this because I love that goal. I think that's an awesome goal. Just imagine this. If, if you're going to make a million dollars in a year as a coach, imagine how much value you're delivering to the world, Right. Like I almost get chills thinking about that because look, man, we all know how hard you work to make 30 K in a D one environment. Right. So imagine the value and how many lives you're impacting to make a million dollars in a year. So spin how you think about that. And if you think about it like that, I guarantee it's going to be way more exciting and get your juices flowing versus just, Oh, I can never do that. Right. And I think it's, it goes back to the whole, I think this is where you've done it for many years. I mean, I think Brett Bartholomew is doing a good job of it right now. Joe, Joe and others is, you know, when you produce content that makes a difference, people are happy to support you in that endeavor. You yes. Know? Yes. I think that's the thing that I found. I did a lot of things like I never thought in a million years. I mean, I, you know, especially if you go back and ask my a high school English teacher, if she thought that I would write a book. She would say, no way, no how. I never thought I would write a book, much less have it be a bestseller. And and even people buying it still to this day and making money off of it to this day. But but because I laid a groundwork with, 
Iron Game Chalk Talk podcast or different things like that, when I did have something that was of value, that was good, people were willing to buy that, you know, and support me in that. And, and I think the, the, I think the thing that the people that do it the best are guys like yourself are the guys that do it with pure intent. And, and if it happens to make money, great. You know, and that's exactly what happened with me. Like I, I thought my mom, maybe my wife would buy my book and that was about it. Yep. And it ended up going and doing much better than that. And I think if you write it with that or you do whatever you do with that kind of, Hey, this might work. This may not work. Ultimately it's a learning experience for me. If that goes, I think you do it with that intent. I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. Agreed, man. Well, Ron, this has been awesome, man. I can't believe we've already been on call like an hour, man. So uh, where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It's always fun. and I mean, I always say that if we all lived in the same place, we'd barbecue every night. You know? so, <laughs> That's right. That's right. That we, uh, we're so far apart, but I'm on Instagram or most social media at Free is pretty much my handle everywhere. I do have a YouTube page that I do put up some pretty regular content on and the website, ronmckeefer.com. So that's kind of where I'm mostly online anyways. I love it, man. Well, we'll make sure we get all the links in the show notes. And again, Ron, thanks so much, man. This has been really great. Awesome, man. Thank you. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Ron. Really hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. I love catching up with this guy. He is such a seasoned and savvy veteran of the strength and conditioning game. He's seen it at every level. He's performed at every level. And I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed the part of the discussion where he mentioned being a million-dollar strength coach. And I realized that might turn some people off, but look, I'm, I'm an altruist at heart. I want to give as much as I can to our industry. But if I can be compensated well to do it, I'm all for it. And most importantly, I think this is what you have to focus on. Our goal as trainers, as coaches, as rehab professionals is to create value. The more value you create, the better you will be compensated. And Ron's done a brilliant job of saying, hey, look, I can make X amount doing this. I can make Y amount doing that. Z amount if I do this other thing. So I think that's a great way to look at our industry is, hey, create value, demonstrate value, and then find as many ways as possible to be compensated for it. And I think that's a way that we all need to look at this industry because it allows us to not only be successful within our industry, but it also allows us to explore other avenues and to create other hobbies and passions that continue to fill us and drive us. Because look, let's be real here, coaching is an energy intensive game. So you've got to find ways to recharge the batteries, get the energy flowing again, so that you can give everything that you can to the people that matter most to you. So, my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.